we have a very exciting announcement here at the Persuasion Lab podcast, and that is the opening of the fully outfitted digital Persuasion Lab. So I've been negotiating professionally for decades, and the most common deal breaker I see with my clients before our work together is that they simply don't know how to prepare for a negotiation. Now, it doesn't really matter whether they're trying to close a sale, secure a vendor through a competitive pricing agreement, come out on top through litigation, or simply navigate quarantine-strained relationships at home. They simply aren't equipped with the words, nonverbal skills, or situational awareness to succeed. With that in mind, I've developed the Persuasion Lab. It's a digital learning platform that automates the transactional processes I've developed over my years in negotiation. I've designed it so that you don't need to spend tens of thousands of dollars or more potentially on professional negotiators like me, but can equip yourself with the skills you need to walk into almost any negotiation, whether it's this evening at the dinner table or over Zoom next week. Confident that you're well prepared for success. Although the lab is outfitted and open, the thing that's missing is the piece that matters most, you. To that end, we're offering some very special introductory deals for our beta users through the end of the year. Most notably, we have options that include 30 days free and or lifetime access for the price of just one month's subscription. All you need to do is get in on the action and head over to thepersuasionlab.com. You can find the link in the show notes below. The only caveat, because we have just launched, there may be some hiccups here or there. Your feedback is incredibly important as we wrap up our final stages of development. And should you experience any misfires at all, just let us know and we'll make it right. This week on the Persuasion Lab, we're going to go over what your Zopa is and why you need one now. My comments today are based on this idea of the Zopa, the zone of possible agreement. It's been used by a lot of people. I don't know who the first one is, but it features prominently in a book called Negotiation Genius by Deepak Malhotra and Max Bazerman. Now, they're in the Harvard Business School, and as to be expected, they follow the general theories of the Harvard Project on Negotiation, which was seeded by Fisher and Uri in their 1980 book, Getting to Yes. So we're going to go over the zone of possible agreement how you calculate one, and how it can help you in your negotiation preparation. So, the zone of possible agreement involves the range in which we're willing to close a deal or agree to someone, whether it's financial or negotiation involving your teen child on a curfew. So how do we get started? There are basically five steps to determining this range. And the first is the calculation of your BATNA. 
this is another tortured acronym, Best Alternative to Negotiated Agreement. This appears prominently in Getting to Yes, Fisher Nuri's book, 1980, I referenced earlier. And what this is, is alternatives if you don't reach an agreement. If the person says no to your offer and you can't reach an agreement, what will you do instead? If you're trying to negotiate an aggressive price with a supplier and they are not willing to go along and just keep saying no, what is plan B? What's your workaround? And in earlier versions of this podcast, we talk about alternatives to negotiated agreements. You want to check that out. But these alternatives are when you're thinking what to do if you don't meet a transaction on your term. Now let's talk about something that happened to me last week, which was I was on a road trip, a camping trip, and we were in Southern California. And of course the car broke down. It was an odd breakdown because the key was telling the security system computer on the vehicle that I was not the driver, that I stole my own car, essentially, and never happened before. And it was odd the way it happened. We were driving, uh, just uh, pulled out of the, the house we were staying in, and everything shut down, coasted to the side. I was able to push it back the 100 or so feet uh, back into the driveway, uh, or not, we didn't get into the driveway, just to the side of the road, kind of. And uh, so I had no car. Uh AAA, you know, battery's fine, everything's fine. Uh, locksmith said, well, with that key, you'd actually have to hit it with a hammer or destroy it. So it's probably an onboard computer. Uh, we had it towed 54 miles to Palm Springs to get to the dealership, and they basically couldn't figure it out. They needed to talk to the headquarters of uh, the car manufacturer, which was, of course, it was Thanksgiving weekend, and their North American headquarters was closed. So we were there until Monday, which I had lots of things going on. I needed to get back to town that weekend. What do we do? So uh, at the dealership, they could not diagnose it. It was an electrical problem. Basically, there were several onboard computers in the security system that had to talk to one another. They weren't talking. They didn't know how to fix it. Uh, older car was thinking about getting a new one. Not now. <laughs> but what were all the Well, we could uh, leave the car and fly back and just take our time and buy one. We could get a one-way rental. One of the restrictions were we had a bunch of camping gear and whatnot in the back of the SUV. Uh, to get that on an airplane uh, probably would have been burdensome and expensive. So what are we going to do? Uh, we actually decided after looking at all these things to look at cars on the lot. Uh, this dealership sold, of course, new and used. We looked at some used ones to get us home. We had alternatives, the best alternative, given all the things, given the mileage of the dead car, given the trade and value they were going to offer us, given the fact that they gave us a, um, rental for the the days we were there and given that if we 
did a one-way trip and took uh, delivery in another state, uh, we could actually um, be taxed in the state where we live, not in the state where uh, the dealership was, which is a high taxing jurisdiction. So after all that math, uh, we got to the price of the car, the haggle. And everyone hates this, and I hate it too, full disclosure. But it was kind of fun because now I get to put my, uh, you know, rhetoric, my academic musings into action, which I do in my day job as an attorney. But it, it, personally, it's a little bit different. You can understand. So I uh, looked at the price, came with the price. Uh, they were really hard on the price. And then I said, well, how did you determine that price? And I said, well, we actually have an algorithm that takes the mileage condition of the car, any, you know, Carfax data, and we come up with a basically in the middle of that range. And just doing a quick scan, I said, okay, uh, I did a little scan myself of the, the configurations, mileage, all that. And indeed, uh, there was a high and low number of the cars that came up of that particular model, that particular yield, that particular mileage, that particular condition, and they were in the middle. Uh, I'll say, yeah, they were definitely in the middle. And I said, well, I would they give me for the trade-in? Not much. Uh, uh, there were other things, for example, that had monetary value. You know, the car rental they, they gave us. And I said, well, make all those things go away and put in a little cash. And here's the number that we're willing to go with, you know, and this, this was a cycle, you know, back and forth to the, the water cooler, or whatever, the front desk. <clears throat> we get to a number and it was within the range. And that was what we would call a reservation value. This is number two. So the reservation value, first we have our alternatives, right? the BATNA. That's my BATNA. Then step two is what we call a reservation value. And this is the walk away number based on my assessment. If they were asking above the range of anything I found in my online searches of cars for sale of that configuration, I would have walked away. I would have been feeling that they were abusing me. So two, if I were to lowball them below what their range was and what their algorithm said, uh, they probably would be better off to keep that car on the lot and sell it to someone else. Uh, information is power here. So they didn't have to close. So I kind of knew not only my reservation value, but theirs, which is actually step four, jumping ahead. So let's talk about my reservation value. Your reservation value value is the number based on your subjective assessment of how you will walk away. And I said subjective purposefully because objectively we try to get to numbers and that's what we try to do with the online searches and the algorithm and the average and you know, lower half of the range, which is where we landed, which I was pleased about. Uh, not the bottom dollar, not the lowest price, but uh, it was acceptable to me. It was in my range. Now, subjective is how do you feel about the deal? Do I feel 
like these people were telling me the truth. And I kind of validated their talk by doing my own search. Uh, so I felt good that, yeah, there was some level of trustworthiness there. So that's a subjective assessment. Objectively backed up by looking at the actual prices. So this is the low acceptable offer that I wanted. Reservation value. Step number one was my bat now. What if we don't do a deal? What are my alternatives? Two is the reservation value. The third step in getting to this zone of possible agreement, this range in our negotiation playing field, is to know their BATNA. And this requires intelligence you may not have, their best alternative to a negotiated agreement. We don't know it. You can probably figure it out. Like I said, if I'm below their reservation value, they can. their alternative is to say no, leave the car on the lot and wait for someone else to come by. And of course, there being the seller, they always tell you the market is hot, hot, hot. Whether or not that's true, it didn't matter to me. It could have been true. But I did notice we did this over a two-day period. When I walked in, there were cars that I actually looked at and drove that were no longer on the lot. That tells me two things. Either they're switching them around or um, they actually sold them. Who knows? Didn't have time to figure out. But that's something that would meet, indicate that, well, the cars are moving unless they have, you know, salesmen just driving cars back and forth in the, the lot, which was a, their used lot was pretty small uh, compared to their new car lot. It was actually across the street from their um, you, uh, new lot. So I, I kind of saw the lay of the land. They had definitely limited inventory in that. And one would think that, uh, <laughs> I was counting on laziness that they wouldn't be switching around cars and making them disappear uh, for prying eyes like myself. So that's that part of it. Uh, and that was their BATNA. Their best alternative to negotiated agreement is to leave the car, the, the, car, uh, the car on the lot. The fourth step is to calculate their zone, their reservation value, and again, what their options are as far as payment. And they kind of told me for this configuration, this mileage, here's what we're willing to accept. And finally, evaluate the zone of possible agreement. And this is the playing field that reasonable people can negotiate on. So it's a seller's reservation value and the buyer's reservation value at the other end. At one end, seller's value. At the other end, buyer's reservation value. And that's the playing field. And if you listen to this podcast and you know strategies, tactics, and operations, you kind of know what I can do to get it closer to my end if I'm the seller or the buyer or if I'm the parent or the child in the getting your teen curfew negotiations. So that's essentially how to get to your zone of possible agreement and why it's really important because negotiation preparation determines if you are effective at negotiation. If you don't have the tools or knowledge to prepare, you're much more likely to be subjective and suggestible to anything in the world. And you may end up after the transaction, after the interaction, feeling like you were duped. And you may have been, but again... 
this is a very subjective assessment. So let's review that again on how to get to your zone of possible agreement. Step one, what's your best alternative to negotiated agreement? Meaning, if you don't reach an agreement, what options do you have? Number two, calculate your reservation value. This is the lowest or highest possible number you would consider in the transaction. Third, determine their best alternative to a negotiated agreement. What are they going to walk away from? Basically, this is not what I need to do. I have options. What are my other options? If you can think about their other options like leaving the car on the lot for the next buyer, that is definitely an option in my example. Number four, calculate the other party's reservation value. So this is an estimate of what number they are trying to get at. And generally, if there's a marketplace with market data, you're in a better shape. If there is no market, maybe more difficult. Number five, evaluate the zone of possible agreement. So now that I know the range, I know their reservation value, I know my reservation value, I can use different methods to get down to a number that is more favorable to me and logically based and less favorable to the other person, but you don't know that. You don't have perfect intelligence on the other side. So the great thing about negotiation is it is agency. It's non-coercive. We can do the deal or we cannot do the deal. It's all part of being human. But if we come together, we have the freedom to do what we want. And the more tools we have, the more information, the better planning we do, the more we will get our needs met. And we will do that effectively if you do your plan. And that's today's episode of the Persuasion Lab. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for listening and a special thanks to my subscribers who are growing with every episode. We'll be back next week in the Persuasion Lab. And remember, plan, ask, and focus to increase your effectiveness as a negotiator.